Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you're looking for a great place online to practice the mental health improving tips from this episode that's also COVID safe and HIPAA compliant, consider joining Huddle.Care. Huddle is an online mental health club. We offer additional education about mental health through our weekly newsletter. We provide support for your mental health through our community time and our altruism club, which is like a book club for your mental health. We teach new ways of relating to your anxiety and OCD through our skills groups and our individual out-of-network psychotherapy. We strive to meet you where you are in your mental health journey and provide what you need. Okay, now enjoy the episode. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry. Huddle.Care is growing. If you are a licensed mental health professional in any state and you're interested in joining my team to run individual sessions or group sessions, please email me at team at huddle.care and I'll send you some more information. Thanks. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. Today, I'm talking with Catherine about intolerance of uncertainty. So this month, we're focusing on intolerance of uncertainty. And just to set it up, um, anxiety disorders and OCD are not uh, based on anxiety itself. So when we have the fear response, the fear itself isn't going to become distress and suffering if we see it as a feeling of fear, allow the sensations, the feelings, and the thoughts that come with it to be there, and then allow them to pass as the threat passes. What happens when an anxiety state becomes an anxiety disorder is you repetitively have the experience of fear, and then you add anxious anticipation about what it means. So there's always a... um, interpretation of what that fear state means and what it could potentially um, uh, mean for your life. And so you could also frame up that anxious anticipation as uncertainty. So inherent in in the disorder across all anxiety disorders and OCD is the concept of uncertainty as something that's difficult to tolerate. And some people don't like the feeling of uncertainty because it makes them feel like they're not safe or it makes it feels like it's not fair that they only experience uncertainty and other people don't. It means that something catastrophic is um, going to occur, or in general, it's a threat in some way. Um, so this month, we'll explore intolerance of uncertainty, how that relates to psychological suffering. And um, first, we have Catherine to, to tell us more about her experience. So Catherine, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so can you tell me about where you experience intolerance of uncertainty or just before intolerance of uncertainty, where do you experience uncertainty in your life? 
Yeah, so I feel like I experience uncertainty in many aspects of my life. I mean, I'm in my 20s, and this is a super uncertain time in our lives, at least for me. So I feel like kind of across the board in work, um, in family situations, in um, dating and romantic relationships, um, and, you know, financial situations too, I feel like I feel like across the board, I experience uncertainty in a couple major aspects of life. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about the difference between anxious uncertainty and uncertainty in general, because actually we all have th- those types of uncertainties. We all maybe live as though things are going to go a certain way, but none of us know exactly what will happen with work, exactly what will happen with our family members, whether they'll get sick or something else will happen to them. Um, none of us know that like we can try our best to get into healthy relationships, but we never know exactly how those relationships are going to play out. We never know exactly that we're going to be able to maintain financial stability. Um, so everybody's living with all kinds of uncertainties all the time. Um, are there uncertainties that you feel more palpably anxious about when you think about them or do they all kind of give you worry? Um, if you spend a lot, once you're spending time on them or focusing your attention on them. Um, I think that, I don't think they all give me the same level of worry, but I think in my experience so far, I felt um, peaks, like ebbs and flows with different segments of my life that feel more anxious than others. So for instance, right now, work is really um, something that gives me anxiety, kind of thinking about not being able to control the outcomes of how I advance in my career and if I'm doing, um, if I'm performing well enough. Um, But, you know, historically I've also experienced peaks where relationships were a um, bigger source of anxiety. So I don't know that I, um, it's not like I experience all aspects of life as super anxious at the same time, but I have noticed that they seem to like kind of ebb and flow with different topic areas. Yes. So, and that's very common with generalized anxiety where with OCD, you might be caught on one particular theme and that that theme might not even seem reasonable to you to um, worry about it. One of the hallmarks of generalized anxiety is that it does span a number of different um, content areas of your life um, and ebbs and flows the way that you're describing. I think one helpful process to Um, understand whether you experience generalized anxiety or OCD or both is that they're both um, the underlying mechanism that maintains your anxiety and your suffering is how you're relating to uncertainty. Um, So as you notice, um, Catherine, that over the years, you've had different ebbs and flow of anxiety are you learning to relate to that anxiety any differently than, for instance, before you were in therapy or you learned anything about anxiety? Yeah, definitely. I think now I'm trying to do a better job, and I think in general have done a better job, of understanding what is an actual threat versus like just my system is like a little bit extra sensitive around it. So, or and like what I what I have control over or not. So like one thing that we've discussed a lot in therapy is like um biological like what's happening in your body biologically and like when 
your amygdala is like telling you there's a threat because biologically speaking, it has been trained to like outrun a tiger or something like that. Whereas in reality, whether or not I meet a deadline for my boss, um, first off, isn't even close to the same level of like actual threat. Um, but also knowing that I have a record of performing and I, I get good performance reviews and like in a, any specific moment, like, yeah, I might not meet that particular deadline, but it is not like the worst thing that's going to happen. Like when I play it out further in my mind, it's, it's a missed deadline that I might get, you know, reprimanded for, but it's not, it's not a significant threat. And so keeping in mind, like what's happening biologically and how my body is reacting, like there's a much bigger threat than there actually is, I think has been really helpful. Yes. Thank you for bringing up all of those themes. There's four things that are coming to mind for me when you're talking. So one of them is anxiety sensitivity, which we'll come back to. One of them is your values. Um, another one is um, challenging um, cognitive distortions. And then um, finally, it's getting perspective. So starting with anxiety sensitivity, um, like you're saying, those that suffer from anxiety disorders and OCD have a biological vulnerability that is genetically um, um, inherited and then also learned in your environment. So if other people were anxious and avoided in response, you then also learn to avoid in some way. Um, so that biological sensitivity that can be the result of being hungry or angry or lonely or tired, being stressed, being on your period, um, being sick, all kinds of, you can have all kinds of reasons why your body might be sensitized. So it's really great that you've owned the fact that biologically your body sometimes gets sensitized and your mind gets sticky. And so I think then we, we talk more about values, which, um, I like to think that under your anxiety is your values, not meaning that whatever you're afraid of is something that you value. So like if you had the thought, what if I am a murderer? That doesn't mean that you value murdering people or something like that. It more is that when you're thinking about aspects of your life that are challenging and uncertain, if you really value those things, you're more likely to get a biological anxiety, like fear response around them. So if you care a lot about your growth and your profession, um, it's, and you're up, a, you're asked to do a task that's challenging and uncertain to you it, because you value it, you're likely to get that, um, physiological response. Um, and then the next thing that you were talking about, was how you challenge your cognitive distortions. So sometimes this doesn't work so well, but it sounds like it works really well for, for you that when you have a worry, you go all the way down to the worst um, catastrophe that you can think of. And so when you get perspective and can see that, you know, this is a deadline that your boss would like to like you to meet, but you won't lose your job or you won't have some kind of catastrophic outcome on the project if you miss that deadline. That's a really great way of like noticing that your mind got sensitized and noticing that it went to the worst case scenario, but then getting perspective and challenging that that idea that that, that um, anxious thought is, is true, it's a message or it's a threat. Does that all resonate with you? Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, the other thing that came to mind as you were saying that is um, around going to the worst case scenario, like I've used that, I guess, in two ways. Um, one being 
exactly what you said where like I go down and say okay the worst case that's going to happen is I miss this deadline but like ultimately I'm not going to lose my job like etc and I've had anxiety before where I'm stuck on like a particular content theme and I am there for a really long time and I ultimately am just like what is like the worst worst case that might happen and it ultimately is like this happens and this happens and this happens and I lose my job and then in that case I kind of use it to just be like, yeah, I might lose my job, which sounds crazy, but I found that actually when I practiced that enough was helpful in the process. Because when I first said it out loud, like I might lose my job is a problem. Like I need my income. It's a, you know, super stressful time in the economy. Um, but the more that I practice that specific technique, the more that I was able to kind of get like a lightness around it where it's like, yeah, I might lose my job. And it is almost like, um, not a joke. I don't know how to explain this, but um, it became like a lighter sensation that it was like, okay, that's the worst case that could happen. And I'm just going to move on and like continue doing my best and doing what I do and taking care of myself in the process. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is that you get distance or you're diffusing from the thought. Um, so there's a couple different things there. First, if you think about it enough that your body sees it as a thought, not a message or a threat, then you're not going to get that physiology as much. And then it doesn't seem like as big of a threat. In this case, it sounds like you're also taking it to the worst case scenario and um, responding with efficacy. So some part of you knows that if you were to lose your job, if the worst case scenario occurred, you'd be able to handle it. And so that kind of self-efficacy of, of like, um, yeah, I can handle this if it, if it were to occur can certainly alleviate anxiety. So that sounds like that was a great technique. Um, sometimes if the content is something that is very difficult to bear. So for instance, it, the the fear if the content is a health problem and then the worst case scenario is me or a loved one dies then that's obviously really difficult to tolerate um right. so what you'd want to be tolerating is having the thought that i could die so rather i'm having the um fear that i'm going to get a fatal illness i i feel worried about it and the desire to google it or ask other people about it i'm feeling anxiety in my body and what i want to do is practice having the thought not doing anything in response and living with the possibility that the thought intrudes and i don't do anything in response you're not saying it would be okay for me to die you're just saying it would be okay for me to have the thought that i could die yeah um, yeah. So I think it depends on the whether or not you feel that you can handle the feared consequence, then then going to the worst case scenario um, is is a great technique. So thanks for bringing yeah. that up. Is any is anything else coming to mind on that topic? Anything else that's been helpful? Yeah, the other thing that came to mind when you were talking is this like urge to Google, which I feel like many women in my age demographic have this really intense urge to Google if they're having a health-related anxiety. And um, learning that just even doing that is keeping me in like a repetitive loop of um, worry and anxiety and like shifting that behavior has also been helpful. Like I think before I started therapy, I didn't realize that those sorts of actions were keeping me in the anxiety spiral. And it felt very natural to be like, 
oh, I'm short of breath right now and I need to Google why or what have you. And Google really quickly will take you to cancer. So you can um, you can basically rationalize your way into some sort of deadly illness anytime you have a certain symptom in your body. Um, and so uh, learning to like, if I'm feeling those sensations, unless I like really have good reason to think, you know, I was exposed to COVID or whatever it may be, Googling or taking those sorts of actions is actually making the problem worse and not um, not giving me the relief that it feels like it will. Like it feels like going and searching for something will give me some sort of relief from the concern, but it actually just keeps me in the spiral. Yeah. And the reason that it keeps you in the spiral is that it's reinforcing the idea that the thought is a threat in the first place. So if you're experiencing something uh, let's say you're a racing heart and that's a sensation that's associated with your anxiety. If you think, oh no, what if a heart attack is coming? Um, and in the presence of that thought, you go and do something. So you Google it or you get reassurance in some way. You're telling your mind, whenever we have that thought, it's a threat. Do something about it. Figure it out. Solve the problem. Um, you got to fix it. So, and when you teach your mind that, your mind's like, oh, okay, let me give you some more adrenaline. That's great. And then, so you're going to get more adrenaline. Your heart's going to beat faster. You're going to have more thoughts about what it could mean. And then you have more urge to Google. So that's how um, those kind of avoidance or compulsions maintain the anxiety um, state in the first place. And so a big um, kind of technique to or a, a bit, an important skill to develop is deciding, is my feared thought a problem to solve or is it an uncertain thought to let pass? Um, it's also called signal versus noise if you use like a radio analogy. So signal or problem solving would occur when you get a whoosh of anxiety and you get a thought and it seems like something that um, you might not get in a whoosh of anxiety actually. It's something that has, um, you can objectively do something about it and you can actually answer the question. Um, Whereas an uncertainty is unanswerable. And the more that you try to check on it, figure it out or fix it, the more it comes back. Um, So do you actually have examples in your own life of the difference between problem solving and signal versus noise? Or do you want Um, me to give some examples? I'm sure I do. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head because um, the signal versus noise metaphor has been really helpful for me before. Um, a good example is what what would you do about a deadline? If you felt anxious about a deadline, how would you navigate signal versus noise? Um, I think that I would. What, I don't know if this is like the direction that you're hoping to go in or not, but um, I think that I have learned to understand which deadlines and things are self-imposed versus like which are right. like the yeah. um, So one thing that I do if I have a deadline coming up and there's like a task on my to-do list that's like do this today or do this by tomorrow um, is thinking like, okay, if I'm getting anxious about it, it's like, is this um, something that is like really happening because it actually has to be done tomorrow. And there is like a team that is waiting on me and there's um, a press release that's going out or or like an immediate 
imminent deadline that I will stop the entire process if I don't get it done. To me, then that is like signal that's like there is a real problem um, versus being like, okay, if there is a deadline tomorrow that I need to do this thing by tomorrow, um, and it's actually more like a self-imposed guideline because I'm trying to like move all of my own objectives forward, it's a little easier to be like, okay, that is a, a deadline that you have coming up for yourself, but it's like something that I've put on, it's a, it's a problem that I've put on myself. I don't, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Is that? Yeah. Cool? Yeah. That completely makes sense to me. I really like the way that you're framing that up. And it sounds like those kind of boundaries are great ways to think through problems to solve of like, whether this is a boundary I've imposed on myself or I've a boundary that's imposed by the environment. The other thing that's coming to mind for me is you can have problems to solve and then you can also have interpretations about what they mean. So for instance, if you have a deadline that actually has other people involved, so you really need to get, you actually need to get that done. That's the signal. That's the problem solving. But some people while they're working on that deadline will also have the thought, um, if I make a mistake, I'm not good enough. Um, what if I'm being judged? Uh, what if, again, it's I'm not good enough and it's going to have some type of consequence. So it's like there's problem solving happening, but there's also uncertainty. Like you can't, no one can have perfect certainty that everybody likes them all the time. They're always going to succeed and they're definitely good enough. So um, that's another thing to watch out for that if you can, if you're not avoiding your responsibilities. So because avoidance and procrastination can be another um, symptom of um, difficulty differentiating between problems to solve and anxiety to let go of. But if you're actually going toward making that differential and going towards problems to solve, but you're still feeling really anxious persistently, even on tasks that you have confidence in, then the other thing to look at is where, how are you relating to the noise associated with those tasks? Um, are you persistently thinking that completing this task or not completing this task has an implication for your sense of worthiness, in which case it's going to keep making you feel anxious? Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, let me think about whether or not I have any sort of reaction to that. Um, I think that the, the sense of, of worthiness thing, I think, is really interesting as it um, pertains to like, my anxiety around professional stuff, um, because I do think that for so long I was like really caught in this trap of thinking that if I don't do something correctly, there would be a judgment from the team or a judgment from my boss that would reflect on myself. Like the, I, I found for so long I was like really caught in this like perfectionist style of thinking um, and thinking that everything needed to be done to a certain standard. Um, and I think that that, I guess one thing that I've learned is that um, having those sorts of rigid standards for myself has, has its own set of negative consequences and like attaching everything to like a worthiness um, isn't, isn't relevant and like still being able to hold my own and be like, like I am a, I'm a worthy good person, regardless of whether or not I meet this deadline has been helpful. Um, and also I think understanding that like 
for me, a lot of the reasons I've gotten into trouble with deadlines in the first place is because I procrastinate because of perfectionist thinking. So like sometimes just actually starting the task and being like, well, it might not be the best thing I've ever done, but like I'm doing it. And like, maybe I don't know how this entire, you know, um, launch is supposed to go or, you know, whatever it is that I'm working on, but I'm going to just start doing it now has even helped with the deadline anxiety in and of itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, everything that you were saying makes a lot of sense. And I'm excited to come back to it. So I'm aware of our time for today. Um, but just in summary from today, basically, we talked about how uncertainty in general relates to anxiety and how um, avoidances, compulsions, neutralizers all maintain that sense of uncertainty in a palpable way. Um, and so getting more into, and then, so the first thing about intolerance of uncertainty is if you can make a good distinction between what's, when you feel uncertain, what's the problem to solve versus once an uncertainty to tolerate, um, that can be a way to build your tolerance of uncertainty. Um, but what you're saying right now about anticipatory anxiety, procrastination, worthiness, um, beliefs about yourself as they pertain to uncertainty are all really great topics. So let's come back to them in our next session. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you're looking for a great place online to practice the mental health improving tips from this episode, that's also COVID safe and HIPAA compliant, consider joining Huddle.care. Huddle is an online mental health club that strives to meet you where you are in your mental health journey. We have community time, altruism clubs, skills groups, and individual psychotherapy. Head to huddle.care to learn more. And don't forget to tell me what you're proud of whenever you can via email, my website, or on the social media channels. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.